The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Brackets are back, and you can get into the madness today on the CBS Sports app. Run men's and women's pools with friends and enter our Cover 3 Bracket Challenge for a chance to win a new car and trips to the 2024 Final Four. Play today at the CBS Sports app or visit cbssports.com play to sign up. No purchase necessary. See terms and rules for details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Bill Clark. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like. And come and join us in the chat. We are so, so honored to be joined by the man who led the UAB Blazers to three consecutive Conference USA division titles. He won two outright Conference USA championships. He had... Six seasons of six wins or more in every year that they were finishing a full schedule. And of course, all of this coming on either side of the UAB program being shut down. We will get into much more about the return and Bill Clark and what you were able to do. But first, you know, given the circumstances of uh, you know your resignation the last year, how are you feeling? Uh, how's the back doing? And, uh, and what are you up to right now? Yeah, I feel really good. You know, had uh, surgery July 14th and, uh, you know, of course, sitting out for a season uh, as I as I recovered and really just feel great now. You know, I had a back fusion, so it was a pretty serious surgery. That was my second back surgery and uh, really just to feel good now. It's 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 awesome and uh, just good to be healthy and really appreciative and, and feel blessed, you know, to be well. Awesome. 
Bill, have you been uh, you've been keeping up with, with the sport? I assume when, when you've been sideline. I know when I when I texted you, said you've been doing some speaking recently. Yeah, you know, I've done a lot of speaking. I, you know, I probably watched more different games this year than I've ever watched in my life. I think, you know, if it was a Tuesday game or a Thursday game, you know, I was watching it. Of course, got to watch the pros this year. And, you know, I've always loved to watch, just watch games. But, you know, you had to really focus on your opponent unless you were, you know, doing an off-season film study, which we did a lot of that. But just to get to see a lot of different ball. Um, was involved with the USFL last year. You know, we had a local team and we had all the teams here. So, um, got some really good connections with those guys there. So, I was involved with them somewhat. Uh, so, really just been watching a lot of, of football. You know, I had a coach at Nike Clinic here in Birmingham about a month ago. We had tremendous speakers. So, it's great to be around all those guys. And, you know, I got to speak and bring in a lot of my guys as well that had coached for me. And, uh, and then I'm going to go, you know, watch some practice this spring. I'm going to do some consulting and and uh, and then just go hang out some as well. That, that sounds awesome. I went to the Orlando Nike Clinic. I just I feel like as media, if you can go to those, it, it helps you sound like less of an idiot when, when you're talking about games, you know, on, on, on Saturday or, or doing your Monday morning quarterback stuff. Uh, the, the reason I, I wanted to have you on, and obviously, you know, to, to catch up would be great, but we have such kind of unprecedented, or people say it's unprecedented, action going on now in the transfer portal. And, you know, you have programs that have had, uh, you know, some some problems recently on, on the field in terms of, like, you know, Arizona State and Colorado and Charlotte who have struggled. And, and now they're bringing in, in Nebraska as well, just absolutely massive classes, mostly, uh, you know, fueled by the transfer portal and, and you know, they have you know, 40 or 45 or 47 guys, depending on, on which team you're talking about, who are coming in and, and are new to their program. And, you know, when you have the spring transfer window as well, I, I think there's a pretty good chance some of these teams are going to hit 50. And if they go nuts, maybe might even hit 60 new players. And you know, people say that's unprecedented. I'm like, that's, it's really uncommon, but I don't know how unprecedented it is when you figure out, look, Bill Clark, not by choice, but really by necessity is a guy that not that long ago had to go in and rebuild his entire roster. And for folks who don't know the story, and fill in the gaps here if you can while we get you set back up on StreamYard, uh, due to some, I would call it political BS, I, I, I would assume you'd, you'd agree on that, uh, they, they shut down UAB's football program for two years following the 2014 season. I know the meeting to shut it down was was pretty heated. We, we, we've seen that video. Uh, but oh, a lot man. of your groundswell of support did and, and brought UAB back, right? And they were extremely happy that, that UAB got back. And, and they said, hey, like, you're not going to be able to start up again until that 2017 season. So UAB took two years off, off of football. The, you know, the article that I read said you guys were down to, I think, 12 players uh, that remained on scholarship down from a normal 85 before you started the rebuilding process. And of those, almost none had actually played in the game and, and, and were pretty young guys. What? When you found out that UAB football was coming back, obviously it was something you wanted because you didn't take another head coaching job, despite the fact you'd done a really good job with the program and were running ball games. What, what was like the next thing that went through your head? It's like, okay, how, how do I build a roster from scratch, right? Like the last team I could kind of think of doing it might have been SMU in the 80s. Yeah. So, you know, I'm on, I think we had a technical difficulty for a second, but I think we were talking about the, the ability of teams, and I think you alluded to a Nebraska, be able to bring in all these numbers. And, you know, I, I'll tell you, when I got there to, in 14 at UAB, we had, I don't know, about 40 guys that were injured, had had surgery, 
Uh, they had won five games in three years. I don't even know what I would have done with the ability to go past, you know, the 25-man roster, you know, what that could have done to change, even though, you know, you look back in hindsight and, and it makes the story so great when you were able to, to flip a roster, you know, I say flip a roster, but take what you had, add to it, and then, and then you know, for us to get six games, six wins in that year and get bowl eligible was a miracle. Um, now, you know, our program gets shut down. I decide to stay. You know, all that's been chronicled over and over and over. Um, you know, kind of the reasons, you know, I'm from here, and there was so much uh, support of our folks that, you know, that led to us bringing it back. We raised all this money. And so, but as that was starting, even before that started, you know, what would, you know, coach, would you stay? And, and so, you know, we've lost everybody, you know, every player is left other than about a dozen guys. And most of those guys were injured. You know, we had a few guys like Darius Williams that just decided he was not going to play anymore um, if he didn't play for UAB. But, as that thought was coming out, you know, that we might play, I'm like, you know, what do we do? Um, so I did. I did look at SMU. I've talked about that probably in most of the articles that I've – when people have interviewed me through the years. And and the reason I, I used SMU was because that was the only thing close to what we had experienced where you don't even have a team. You've got to immediately come back and play. You know, we weren't going back to FCS. We weren't going back to Division Two. We were going back to FBS in two years with – with about 12 guys, and I knew SMU had come back with high school players. Now, of course, that was a, a death penalty from recruiting violations, and uh, ours was self-imposed. So, you know, two different things. But the the them coming back with 18-year-old kids against, you know, 20, 21, 22-year-old guys that had been in the, a program, you know, just – there's really, there was no chance. And I think, you know, what did they lose? They lost every game for two years. And then I think they won one in the third year. And I, that, you know, that was pretty much, I said, that's something we cannot do. We had a little bit of time and it wasn't like we were some great name, you know, because uh, not only had, um, you know, we had turned around a program that had been losing, but we had no program. So now you've got people not even knowing whether to believe in this program or not. So, that's where the junior college mindset came in and which can be similar to what, you know, we're talking about with people flipping their rosters, but, you know, it allowed us to go across the country and really just say, all right, we got to get older. We've got to, you know, we're going to go out and try and get people that look the part. And then, and then this will be something I know we'll want to talk about is how do you bring those guys together and, and create a family? Before we get to the, the culture part of this, what about the pitch when you're going to these junior college players, what are you trying to sell them on about this, the future of UAB football? Yeah. So, you know, and I say this about coaches all the time, we're going to learn every good thing there is to know about a, a place. And, and I think for us, it was, you know, pretty simple, simply there's nowhere to go, but up, you know, and that's kind of tongue in cheek, but you know, really it was, you've got to come in and to play, you know, and I think uh, a kid that's coming from junior college, you know, you quickly figure out there if they've, you know, if, they, if they've been thinking about it, they realize they've only got two to three years at max to play. Uh, you know, and I told them, I said, look, you know, you're going to go somewhere where you're going to be fighting to play, where you're going to come here and you have to play. Um, mm -hmm. So that was a pretty good pitch. You know, the other pitch we had was, you know, we've got to sit out for a year. So, uh, you know, I really looked at a lot of guys that had been injured. Uh, you know, they had been terrific players. Maybe they tore a labrum. Maybe they had hurt their knee. Um come in here, get well, 
really get your academics, which, you know, we had great academics at UAB, get this great degree, maybe even get a master's, get a, you know, get a double major um, and, and start this program. And, you know, in our, you know, we called it the return. I don't know how, you know, I kind of came up with that early on and we started talking about the return. So we had something we were, you know, I, I always say a catchy phrase. And then, but, you know, my big deal was, you know, come in here and make history. You know, how many people really get to say that they made history uh, in the game of college football? And, I, you know, and I told them, I said, there's going to be some kind of history here, either good or bad, but, you know, you're going to be part of making history. So I think the playing time. And then, you know, the big thing for us, we had to go create better facilities. And so that was the one thing I said, you know, to our, to our guys that had gotten involved. And this was a lot of community guys that believed in Birmingham and knew how important UAB was for the community. And I'd say that about any football program, you know, being the front porch of the university um, and a city. And so I think these guys understood. They really didn't maybe understood exactly how hard it was going to be. Thank God, or they probably wouldn't have done it. But, um, you know, we had to change our facilities and, and, and that was the promise to these kids. You know, we can't put them back in the in the horrible building we had. So we we did go out and raise money and build facilities. So that was, uh, you know, I always say, you know, you make a promise, you got to keep it. And so, um, you know, I don't normally promise playing time ever. It's just you're going to get a chance to compete. <laughs> this was different. We didn't have a team um, for that first year or so. But, you know, I think, hey, we are going – the facilities are going to get better. Uh, we're going to make sure of that. And then everything else was was pretty much there for the taking. Bill, uh, I, you mentioned that, that normally you don't promise playing time, and and you know here you were able to obviously show them the, the route to playing time. I, I imagine though, just in talking to the guys who are, are coaching college ball now, when they take transfers, they can kind of show that the path to playing time. Maybe one guy at a position, maybe a second, but they're not able to. to necessarily flip a room perhaps uh, of, of one position room because guys look around and say, wait, you, you're already bringing him in as a transfer and him and, and, and him. Right. Did it become harder to sell that playing time as you got into sort of that, like, you know, the 22nd Juco guy and the 30th you know, junior college guy and, and, and transfer it. And how did you balance like not, not promising playing time at that point, but like how did you make all these guys who are about the same year or within a similar uh, you know year of eligibility how did you make them all, all believe that they would have a real shot for, for PT? Well, I think, you know, anybody that you know is the right competitor understands that we're taking multiple guys at the receiver position, the D-line. I mean, I mean, they were coming in on the same visits together. So when I say promise and play in time, that was kind of a joke that we don't have any players, you know, you got to play. But I think we all have talked about the, the chance to play. And, and, and you know, a kid's going to look at the roster. And, and he's going to say, well, you've got a running back who's all conference. You've got another one behind him who played. Here I am. Now, the competitor in you says you can beat this guy out versus I could say, you know, here's the roster. There's nobody. <laughs> you know, maybe I'm bringing another guy just like you, but he's not an entrenched starter. Now, if I'm doing it today, you know, I think you're, you're just selling the opportunity to play. You know, you're selling the opportunity to play. You're also selling the opportunity to – to change, like we said, to make history, to change what's going on at a, a place. Uh, and, you know, usually in this recruiting, and that was what happened with us and it's happened really always, these guys start recruiting each other. And I think, you know, we're not just trying to, to create playing time. Uh, this is football. You know, football players want to win games. And so 
you know, if he only cares about himself and he only cares about playing time, he's not really somebody I wanted either. You know, I, it, I wanted guys that wanted to be part of a winning team. Um, so we were talking about winning. We were talking about uh, creating a team. And so they were recruiting each other. So it became a lot more than just individual playing. Because I don't, you know, when you start talking about, hey, I'm playing, but I'm on a horrible team, you know, I don't know how, I don't know for a, for a real football player how exciting that is either. It's toxic for a locker room too. I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, you know, I think, and I, and it's so funny because I am, I'm the person that would go so far to not ever promise somebody something that we couldn't deliver on. Because once you get that guy there, he's there, and, and he starts saying, "Wait a second, I was told X, Y, and Z," and that's why I, I you know, I laugh about the facilities. You know, uh, we had to have those, and I told guys, "You're gonna find me in a." In a in a hole somewhere. Cause I promised these guys this and, you know, and I, I don't like making promises I can't keep um, because we want to, we want to be, you know, in truth and in reality. Um, so I think that's the thing we always talk about in recruiting and I, anybody that knows any, is any good looks for guys that love the game. And, you know, when you love the game, you understand there's competition, there's training, there's all those things that go with it. Um, but I do think the ability to go and get 25, you know, over 25 players is, is life-changing for people to come in, that come into new programs. Just because you're going when, – when the old coach leaves and the new coach comes in, you're going to have an exodus of guys. Maybe they follow that coach. Maybe they're just, you know, they came because of the coach, which is a lot of times. So just the ability to get past that, that stop number to get to 30 and 35 and 40 and so on is, is life-changing. Bill, we, we, we talk so often about the, the importance of having that, uh, you know, if you want to call him a, a bell cow recruit, right? A guy that other recruits uh, seem to know who this guy is and, and they are willing to follow. I'm not sure if we lost Bill here, might, might, might have lost him, but I'll, I'll tell the audience a quick story and then I'll just ask Bill because he'll know the story I'm, I'm telling about. So had a kid uh, named Greg Bryant, right, who was from the state of Florida, was a, a top Five or top 10 running back in the country. I think he was class of, I know it was around like the time when Florida State was recruiting Jameis. So maybe 2012 or 2013 class ish. Uh, and he had signed, I believe, with Notre Dame initially. And then he ended up having to bounce. Could have been academics, I forgot. Now, what happened to him afterwards was, was, was tragic. And we'll, we'll ask Bill uh, when, when we get him back on. But I was, you know, I wanted to ask him, like, hey, how, how important is it to have a kid? commit to you early in the process like they did with Greg Bryant, who other dudes out there are like, oh, that guy can play. Like that, that's for real. You know, much like Colorado has had with a Travis Hunter and a Cormani McClain. Like you get one national name, I think it makes people more likely to buy in, in into what you're doing with, with, with your process. Jim, you, you remember Greg Bryant? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, tra- like, unfortunately, it's because it's like a tragic story, but um, I, I absolutely remember the name. I think I am. Am I muted still? I don't know if we're, if we're still getting echo out of here for some reason. That's crazy. Uh, there we go. I don't know what happened. Yeah, I'm back. We got back. Uh, so, Bill, what, what I did, I just I just told the audience sort of the backstory. I'm a guy from Florida, you know, covered recruiting in, in, in the 2010s in Florida. And I remember Greg Bryant really well. So I remember, like, when I saw that y'all were in on Greg Bryant, I was like, that's a kid. That's a name that other kids might know. Like, did, did that help legitimize your, your return process? Yeah, one hundred percent. You know, Greg was a 
was an elite five star, you know, if you want to say five plus, um, a guy who had, who had been dominant at Notre Dame as a freshman, uh, had really bad grade situation. Uh, and when we got Greg, you know, I still remember I was speaking in Mobile um, to a quarterback club down there and, and I get on the phone with this guy named Greg Bryant. And I mean, you know, we were talking to so many hundreds and hundreds of kids and there's Greg Bryant and, you know, we just hit it off and, you know, he came in and I still remember before he went back home and end up uh, in, the, in the horrible, you know, getting killed. You know, he had gotten a 2.75 GPA at UAB. Um, I remember him coming in my office with tears in his eyes and said, coach, you know, I've never even come close to this. Um, you know, he was just so proud. And, you know, we, I think at that first spring, we had about 58 players. Um, and so just, but to see him, you know, just in that brief time we had him was just unbelievable. But yes, he did help legitimize, uh, just his name alone was a big deal. Cause that, I mean, that's the players recruiting other players. Exactly. And I, and that happens so much. And, you know, that's what, when you get those kind of guys, and I'll say this, um, it was very interesting, the group we had, because we had guys from New York, California, Arizona, Miami, uh, you name it. We had them from there and bringing this group together was, <clears throat> as I always say, that'll be in the movie someday. But, you know, you're talking about some really big personalities. These guys, you know, you're talking about a lot of three, four, five. You know, we had a few five, but, you know, a lot of three- and four-star guys that had been heavily recruited at big-time places. And a lot of grades, you know, where they just didn't go in and do their job. Um, you know, we didn't take bad people. But I think just to get those guys together. Uh, so you really had a lot of strong personalities. But Greg was very, very special. Coming up on the other side, more with Bill Clark next. Rise and shine, football fans. This is Susanna Fuller from Morning Footy, a podcast part of the CBS Sports Galazzo Network covering the breadth of the global game. Join me, Nico Cantor, Charlie Davies, Alexis Guerreros, and guests every morning for the perfect blend of news, analysis, conversation, and exclusive interviews. If you love soccer, then look no further. We've got you covered for Europe's top five leagues, the W Gold Cup, the Champions League Knockout Stage, CONCACAF Nations League, NWSL, MLS, Transfer News, and much more. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Subscribe to Morning Footy. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Back here with former UAB coach Bill Clark, taking some time out of his day to join us here on the Cover 3 podcast as we look at the, the modern era of, uh, of college football as many programs with new hires, they're trying to turn rosters, and, and nobody did it better or with more success than Bill Clark, who built a roster out uh, after the program was shut down for two seasons. And again, in six full seasons as head coach, they had six or more wins in every single year, five straight years of being invited to a bowl game. Uh, just a phenomenal job. And, and a lot that I think uh, Colorado and Arizona State, Charlotte, a lot that a lot of programs can learn from that. 
as you are going about your um, your role as a consultant right now, what are you hearing from coaches about personnel and roster building? Like, what are you picking up as you're having some of these conversations with the guys that are in the thick of it right now? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think everybody talks about what's the NIL doing to them, the, the transfer portal. Uh, you know, having to recruit your own roster uh, that, you know, of course, that's been going on for the last few years, but just that. And then, and, and then, of course, you're always talking about recruiting. You're always talking about scheme. You're always talking about training. So there's all the normal stuff that's, you know, as I always say, that wakes you up at three in the morning and, and you know, you, you don't sleep and, you, you, you know, because Saturday's coming. You know, I think that's the the shirt that, that everybody needs, you know, you, everything's good, all this other stuff, but Saturday is, is waiting for you and not one coach forgets that. Bill, if, if, if you were talking to, you know, Dion at Colorado or, or Matt Rule at, at Nebraska and Kenny Gillingham at Arizona state, at, or maybe already have, like what, what would your advice be for, for them for, for the culture aspect of this? Like, Hey, guess what? You have now 70% of your roster is dudes who, who weren't here last year. What what are some things you wish you could have done differently perhaps or, or, or things you learned pretty quickly that you know, may, maybe they could use in their process? Well, I'm probably a little different. You know, I was part of the, the start of South Alabama. You know, we started South Alabama football from nothing. And, you know, I had done the same thing really. Prattville High School was summer. We had, you know, 18 players show up for a meeting in June, um, which, you know, you take a job in June, what do you expect? But – I, you know, I had a, some experience in these these things, and uh, you know, UAB when we get there, and it's just it's just bad. Um, I think the thing for all of them is that what they do, weight room training, that's where it's at. You know, I'm an old strength and speed and track coach from way back, um, and I think that's where you do everything. Is is just you know, how can we get them in there to get them training together? Obviously, you know the practice and the things that you do at practice. But, you know, what are we doing as a team? What are we doing team bonding? What are we doing away from the field? What are we doing uh, in our training that brings us together, makes us a family? And I think that's that's going to be the big the big thing when you're bringing guys in from everywhere. Uh, you know, and I, and I talked a lot about this with junior college guys, and I think it's the same thing when you with this NIL. you got to be careful you're not getting a bunch of mercenaries. Um you know, and I and that's a strong word, I know, but it's, you know, you you came for money and and or you you know as a junior college player, everybody was a mercenary because they all there was no school left, so they had to sell their self, they had to uh, get their stats, you know, you know that get mine, and and so we had to get out of that mindset. Uh, yet at the same time, we don't mind guys wanting to be great. We want them to want to be individually great, but we have to. We have to bring all that together with a team. So I think all the, the training, team building, all that is is vitally important. Bill, your um, your connection to the UAB program is going to last forever. And I imagine that your time spent there and, and what you've given to that program means that you still hold it dear to your heart. The program is in um, major transition, not just in the coach, but also at the conference level. You know, what are your, what would be, you know, your advice? Maybe they, maybe Trent Dilfer has reached out or maybe some people around the program, you're still having those conversations, but you know, what are your thoughts about the current state of UAB football as it makes the move from conference USA, where it had been, you know, 
thanks to your work and your staff continually competing at the top of the conference. Now it's a brand new landscape. A few familiar neighbors that are all moving, you know, with mm-hmm. you on that move to the AAC. But what are your thoughts on on where UAB is going to land in this reshuffled American Athletic Conference? Yeah, first, uh, you know, that this is a totally different deal than coming in after a coach has been fired or let go. Um, you know, me retiring and us coming from winning, you know, and Trent will be the first one to tell you, you know, you're walking into a culture that is set, you know. And now, granted, as you bring in – I don't care how good your culture is, every year you're bringing in 15, 20, 25 guys that have to learn what that culture looks like. But, you know, Trent was able to keep my strength coach and that strength staff. And, you know, that's that's a really huge part of, of the daily – um, you know, who those guys see more than they see their coaches. So I think that was a big deal that he was able to do that. I think going to the American is, you know, it's going to be a – there's no doubt it's a step up. I don't I don't think it's some monstrous step, but it is a step up. And so everything's just got to continue to improve and get better. Um, you know, but, yeah, my heart will always be with UAB. There's just, you know, too much of my, my heart and soul in that place, and I'm from here. So, you know, obviously going to be pulling for them and wanting to see them do well. Bill, I, I had a couple more just kind of, you know, process. This is inside baseball, but we're, we're kind of, you know, in the offseason here and kind of nerd out on it, if, if you would. I, I had a conversation with a, with a G5 coach the other day, and, and he's like, look, bud, I, I don't want to take this kid who's super raw out of high school, spend two years developing him when I know his ceiling, if he hits, is to go get an NIL deal from some major P5 program. Like, do do you think G5s have to change sort of the way that they recruit high school in the transfer portal era now, almost like college baseball do, right? Like, hey, you, you can have the number one college baseball recruiting class. Cool. But if it's all kids who are going to take the draft money, it doesn't really do you much good on the field. What? How Do you think you would recruit differently in the high school in, in this sort of new transfer portal era? You know, I, I don't think there's anything that's, that's off the table. So to your point, um, I think every thought that you can think uh, about that is 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 not a, b- a bad thought or a wrong thought. I mean, I, I can't say exactly uh, where my mind would be, but I can see guys that think that way. You know, and I remember Andy Kennedy, who's the basketball coach at UAB, and I talked about that, you know, three, two, three years ago about recruiting your roster every year. And he said, you know, I'm, I just just what we do in basketball. And, you know, and I, and I laughed to myself, I, you know, 13 guys versus 130. Um, <laughs> now, granted, we only signed 85, but, you know, that's just such a scary proposition. And um, But that's where your mind is, you know, should I take a guy that, that I could lose? Um, I don't know. You know, I was just such a – our team and our family and our culture uh, is going to keep these guys here. And I don't know if that's the world we're in anymore, you know, but – um, I do think the question is is a valid one, and I think it would be something that's being considered by a lot of guys. And you know, what's the best way to to handle that? Go ahead. Gotcha. I was just going to say it's it's fantastic to hear that you're feeling better and feeling good, and that you've been able to you know get some of that relief that you were really seeking. And you know, you I'm hearing you talk about you know it, whether or not you would use the same approach uh, if you were back in it. Are are you starting to get a little bit of an itch as you're spending time around coaching? Is getting back into college football something that you might pursue uh, here in the future? You know, I, I just don't know what I'm going to do. I, I I think I had to put so much in me in these last few jobs. Uh, and this one was different. I think the back 
And then I, you know, really, I think I spent so much time trying to recover right here at the end of this, of the, of the season, which would have been the hiring cycle. I just wasn't ready. You know, I just wasn't mentally ready. Now I feel really good. My mind's good. And I'm, I'm excited to get back around practice and, and I don't know, you know, how I feel. I think just going to practice, you know, I'm going to watch Jacksonville State today. Uh, Rich Rod, Coach Rod's a, a buddy of mine, and I got, you know, one of my coaches is up there. So I'm going to go watch them today. So um, there's a, definitely a lot of things I miss. Um, there's some things I don't miss, but there's a lot of things I do miss. And so we'll, we'll just see what happens. Bill, what, what actually goes into a consulting gig for college football? I bet you that, that's something that our audience really just has no concept of. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just a deal where there's some guys would just say, and I, I know, you know, obviously this is not some huge financial commitment. This is more, hey, come watch us practice and just tell me what you think. And, you know, I, I love doing that, you know, whether it was my, my dad or, or Jack Crow uh, who was in town or anybody that I trusted um, that would come give me a, you know, as I said, there's, you know, they got no dog in the hunt other than to, to see us do well. You know, what do you see? What do you see in meetings? What do you see from our, our players? What, you know, just give me honest thoughts from somebody that that I trust. And so that's kind of what this is looking like. It's more of a just, you know, what do you see? Um, give me honesty. And, um, and you know, and, and, you know, I think for all of us, it's, you know, boy, that, that looks good. I really love your practice organization. Maybe here's something to think about. But as much of that as you're watching the coaches, and that's what I spent all my time doing. You know, I watch my coaches and not so much really just exactly how they were doing it, but, you know, are they using their time wisely? You know, are they pushing their guys? Are they pushing them the right way? Uh, I think that's the consulting part for me is just kind of, you know, give an overview of, of somebody's program. And maybe, maybe there's one little thing. We're all looking for that one little thing to help us win. Jacksonville State, I'm sure, as they prepare, you know, we talk about the big movements. Jacksonville State's about to be a Conference USA member. You know, we we are seeing uh, a lot of shifting right there. And as you mentioned, Rich Rodriguez, uh, the head coach, it's going to be a fun year in the CUSA, that's for sure. You think Jacksonville State's built up? Well, can you take a temperature and give us a little insight into where, they, where that roster is looking, uh, how you think that they're going to be as they prepare to make that jump to the FBS? Yeah, I can't really tell you uh, because I hadn't even seen them practice. But I know, I know Coach. I know Coach Trickett really well. Um, you know, from what I've seen from him, and you know, once again, he came into a really good situation as far as FCS goes. You know, you know, I was there. Coach Gross did a great job, uh, and then he come in. You, you know, you get get you another great coach comes in there and just has a great year. But you know, you are going to a different level this year, and so you know, we'll see. I haven't got to see him yet. Um, you know, I know what kind of coach he is. I know what kind of coach trick it. I've got to hear their staff. They came and spoke at my clinic. So, you know, I, I feel like they're going to do well, but it is going to be a jump for them, no doubt. Wait, is that, is that Rick Trickett up there now? Yep. <laughs> if you guys have never seen Rick Trickett coach a practice, we, uh, Jimbo Fisher camp, like 2007 or eight, they, they had got hired. And uh, Rick, Rick has an interesting coaching style, and, and he's he's not afraid to tell you what what he thinks about about your performance. And uh, it was it was a little bit different than some of the Bobby Bowden camps uh, at, at the time. And, and you know, Coach Bowden was was still living back then. Maybe this was '09. I think it was Rick and James Coley, and we're watching these drills. And this this this, this mom comes up. She's like, "If Coach Bowden heard the language that y'all were using during this football camp." 
he would roll over in his grave. And I'm like, Coach Brown retired. He's not dead. <laughs> but like, it, it just it held it together. It was, yeah. Uh, they could sell Rick Trickett practice footage and, and, and charge for it. He, he's, he's an awesome guy to watch. He's true old <laughs> school. Yeah. No doubt. True old school through and through. Well, uh, Bill, thank you so much for taking some time to sit down with us here at the Cover 3 Podcast. Our audience really appreciates the insight that you've been able to give. You know, the the story that you have with UAB football is tremendous. Like you said, the return will be a movie one day, and uh, then and we can all sit down and enjoy it with popcorn, too. Just the way that we enjoyed covering it professionally and, and getting to watch you lead that charge. So uh, as we say farewell to Bill, thank you so much, and we appreciate it. And it's fantastic, truly, to hear that you are feeling better, and uh, and, and that seems to be a big part of, of your life. So thank you, Bill. We appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Enjoyed it. See you. Take care, Bill. Coming up on the other side, we've got some interesting developments on the recruiting trail in the 2024 cycle, particularly around five-star Dylan Rayola. We'll give you the neck. We'll give you the, the news and our expectations and, of course, what it means next. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Gather your besties. We are very exclusive. And get ready. Mom, go make snacks. For sure, Regina. Yeah. For the movie that hits like a bus in a good way. No one dies. Mean Girls. Made at PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast once again, thank you to uh, former UAB coach Bill Clark. We reached out to him. We thought he had interesting perspective on the uh, the roster building process. And of course, it turns out that he's talking to a lot of these coaches. He's, he's definitely got his finger on the pulse of what's going on. But bud, we got to turn our attention to the recruiting trail because the pursuit of five-star quarterback Dylan Rayola is starting to heat up. He, of course, is not just a five-star prospect. He is the number one quarterback in the class. According to 24-7 Sports, he is the number one overall player in the class. 6'3", 220 pounds out of Arizona. And we've got a recent crystal ball for Dylan Rayola to USC. This coming on the tails of a USC visit. And as we, the idea that a five-star quarterback would connect with Lincoln Riley seems like, oh yeah, of course, duh. But but it sounds like it. This is just as much about what other programs might be missing out on. Absolutely. Do we have the uh, the video? Because this wasn't just in a crystal ball. I mean, this is Steve Wiltfong. You know, with with feeling that that uh, USC is in a great spot for uh, for Dylan Rayola. Steve, what are you hearing coming out of Rayola's visit to SoCal that has you changing your pick from Georgia to now USC? Well, I talked to Dylan Rayola following another visit to USC, and he said it was a blast. Every time I go back, I just love it more and more. And he got a chance to spend time in meetings with Coach Riley and, and, and see how he interacts with the whole team, but also getting an opportunity to hang out with Caleb Williams and pick his brain about USC and how he's handled everything was another thing that uh, was exciting for him. But he got to watch a spring practice, uh, hang out with Coach Riley, hang out with uh, Caleb Williams. And, and uh, I think just – 
as he continues to go through his process here. You know, and he's still trying to get back to Georgia. He's going to visit Nebraska at the end of March. That it's USC that's kind of taken the momentum. Georgia had the momentum coming out of the national championship game. Uh, um, and we'll see if they can get that back with another visit here. And Nebraska certainly doing all they can to get Dylan Rayola to come to Lincoln. But at this point, I like where USC stands in this recruitment. Yeah, Steve, I, I think it's interesting because I was looking through the comments and the replies uh, on that Twitter message, right? The the post that went out from the 24-7 sports account. A lot of fans are wondering, why would he go there? Malachi Nelson just signed with the Trojans, the five-star quarterback from Southern California. But then you think about Dylan Rayola, you think about his makeup and his moxie, and I don't think he's shying away from any sort of competition. So I wouldn't expect that to be a hindrance for USC. He knows he has to compete wherever he goes. And that connection with Lincoln Riley is something that gives me a bit of confidence with that crystal ball prediction. I think that whatever he sees in, in what Riley can do for him as a developer, and then obviously with that offense, all the skill talent that they bring in, it's close to home in Arizona. They're building a new house there in the in the suburbs outside Phoenix. That would be a driving distance for, for his family as well. And he trains in Los Angeles at 3DQB out in Orange County. So those are all different layers that I think work in USC's favor. Yeah, the number one quarterback in the class who was committed to the Ohio State Buckeyes for much of the summer and fall of 2022. On December 17th, he officially decommitted, and that's when Georgia got in the mix. That's when Nebraska got in the mix, and that's when now, yes, as we are sitting here on March 8th, USC does appear to be very much in the mix. What's your what's your big takeaway from these latest developments from the recruiting trail? And again, thank you to the 24-7 recruiting show, college football recruiting show on the 24-7 Sports Network uh, for that clip right there. Absolutely. That was great to hear for, from those guys and, and Emily as well. Um, I, my take here is, like, sure, it's great if USC get, gets Dylan Rayoli. He's the number one player in the class. The, the, the guy's a stud, right? And I'm sure Ohio State will be fine because it's Ryan Day and quarterbacks chip. Like he's going to get another really good QB. And I, I think Georgia before Todd Munkin had left was actually in a really good spot with him. He was in the box with Matt Stafford watching the national championship game. Uh, but you know, I, I go and I, and I look at the other school that was mentioned there, Nebraska. You know, his uncle Dominic Rayola, who was a, a, a really good player, obviously for the school and for the Detroit Lions, is, is the offensive line coach there under new coach. Matt Rule, and, and I would comp this a little bit to uh, what Penn State went through with Justin Fields, okay? Lincoln Riley, Ryan Day, and, and Kirby Smart have a real chance to sign the number one player in the country every year. Penn State didn't, but they had Justin Fields committed for, for a whole summer, and that's something you can really dream on. And when you have a special connection with a kid and you're not a top 10, not a top 20 type program like Nebraska has not been at least during Dylan Rayola's lifetime, you, you have to cash that in. And, and like that's just that is a type of player who could, not necessarily will, but could change the entire trajectory of how your career goes at Nebraska if you're Matt Rule. Like Penn State hasn't gotten over the hump of winning a national title, of, of making a, a deep playoff run. They've had a lot of really good years, but we always ask, hey, if they could ever get quarterback right. They almost had it when they had Justin Fields decommitted, and then he, you know, decommitted. I went to Georgia and you know, went to Ohio State. I, I wonder if there's a question here about, about the, the coordinator hire, man. They, they went and they hired Marcus Satterfield, who was at South Carolina. South Carolina's offense this year was a dumpster fire, despite the fact that they got five-star transfer 
Spencer Rattler in. And if you're Rayola and you're looking at these, you're like, okay, what's his track record of developing quarterbacks compared to Lincoln Riley or Ryan Day or just, you know, Georgia, which has five stars at, at almost every position? I, I think that is, that's probably worth a discussion. I mean, that, that's a leap of faith if you commit to Satterfield, who is you know, Matt Rule's buddy and has been with him at prior stops. But I don't know. Like One of these things is not like the other. If, if you do the song with it, I, I know I do it with, with uh, my son. Uh, I'm sure you do it with yours, or maybe that was just embarrassing. I just sung on the air. Uh, man, I'm, I don't know. Like This does feel like a missed opportunity if Nebraska can't cash this in. The, my, you, you tell me if I'm wrong about this, but the sense that I'm getting from the modern-day five-star, top-of-the-class quarterback is that they are the franchise that they yeah. should be able to show up and like doesn't matter who the coach is. I mean, it, it probably matters to their parents, to people in them, in their uh, decision-making web, but that if you are the kind, like for example, the kind of drive that would lead Dylan Rayola to see that Malachi Nelson's already going to be on the roster and say, I don't care. I'm, I'm going to step into that. I, I would think that he would be committing to Nebraska because of that connection, but would also believe that he is going to be the change that can happen. And listen, we've had offensive coordinators who have had their stock boosted in ways that do not tie at all to the exact makeup or coaching grade that we would otherwise apply to an offensive coordinator, just because they've got that dude at quarterback. I, I think it's a tough um, a tough sell for Nebraska to be going head to head with USC with Georgia who might not be out of the, I mean like Mike Bobo yeah. is still very much like has his own path to be able to get to Dylan Rayola as well. Like it's the offensive coordinator hired might play a role for sure, but some of it might just also be the fact that Nebraska is trying to swim in the deep end with the, with three massive recruiting powers of the modern football landscape. I think that's very fair. And, and normally, like Nebraska doesn't even, they don't even get in the gate to, to try to jump in the pool in the deep end, right? Like that for, for a level of player this high. So I, this is going to be one to watch, man. This is a really important recruitment for Matt Rule if you're a Nebraska fan that thinks they can get back to, you know, winning a national title. And as you transition, the Big Ten is most likely going to do away with divisions, I would assume, right? And they'll go to a more of a nine game schedule. You're going to need some big guns when you have to play Ohio State and Penn State and Michigan annually. And if Michigan State gets back up to what they were, and Maryland, shout out, because we have some Maryland listeners who were mad that we didn't mention Oof. Maryland's excellent combine showing. Excellent combine showing. Yeah, there, you guys, you guys yeah. Tremendous job, Maryland, at the combine. Uh, they won eight games, I think, with uh, one of the top number of guys invited to the combine, and, and it did have nice performances there. So, look, this is really important that, that Nebraska stays in this fight and – we talked with Bill Clark in, in the first segment about the bell cow. When, when they got Greg Bryant there at UAB, when, when Dion got Travis Hunter, it can legitimize your tenure at a program. So certainly one to watch. And that was some big news last night on the 24-7 Sports Recruiting Show from Wilt Fong and Blair Angulo. Hey, and this is just an unnecessary, just extra little uh, spicy nug thrown in here. But did you know that eight wins is the most that Maryland has had since 2010? I actually think they're doing a good job there. That's, That's just a hard like, job in that division. It, yeah. Like the Mike Loxley in his fourth season guided the team to more wins than they had had in 12 years. He's the right guy for the job. He's doing good things. And they showed out at the NFL draft combine as well. I'm, I'm never afraid to be able to say we, ha we over, we overlooked something. We only have, but so many minutes in a show and 
Sometimes the conversation gets away from us, but yes, Maryland uh, doing a good job on the field. And yes, they had a good showing at the combine. Well, we're Bud's about to get kicked out of the studio. So we're about run out of our time here, but we will be back on Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern time. It is going to be opening up the big old bag of mail. And we had a great response from the live audience, some of whom jumped in early, even before the show started. You throw your question in there. We will be taking live audience questions throughout. And of course, if you leave us a five-star review and put your question in that review, we will tackle it in a future mailbag episode. And you can follow him on Twitter at BudElliott3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Bud, thank you very much. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. Is that all the oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian Pigeon Mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Way, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramont Plus.